Yeah, we're speaking this morning on our, our purpose series about community. And I really just sense the Holy Spirit wants to do some incredible stuff in our lives. Because He's a genius. And um, He knows us better than we know ourselves. And um, I really felt this morning when I was preparing, just so moved by the Father's heart towards us. You know, we can never... We can never get to a place where we're just not moved by the love of God. And I just felt like he wanted to leave this imprint on our hearts of like his deep love and affection. And um, I felt the word, I just saw a picture of our hearts and I saw this giant like branding stick of, of like fire and, and the word on, on, on that was beloved. And I felt like that's what God just wants to imprint on our hearts this morning is that we are his beloved. And I just, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is, is going to gently but powerfully whisper. You know, I love what Andrea said a few weeks ago. He doesn't have to shout because he's closer to us than our skin. So he can just whisper. You are my beloved. And it's just such a powerful word. Be loved. And there's something about, have you ever met a person who just knows that they really are loved? There's a place that the, the Father invites us to live from that we know that we're just completely loved and accepted. And isn't it interesting that when you know that you're fully and truly loved and accepted, it's so natural to love and accept other people. That's why He created us as beloved sons and daughters. You know, um, the Father's first thing He spoke over Jesus says, you are my beloved son. Whom I love. You are my beloved son, with you I'm all pleased. And I was, it was fascinating what Andrea shared with us. He said, when, when the enemy came to Jesus in the desert, he said to him, he was tempting him, he said, if you are the son of God. But he left out the, the part that the father said, beloved. He didn't say, if you are the beloved son, he just said, if you are the son. And the enemy's strategy will always be to convince us that we are not loved by God. And I think that, that for some of us, maybe probably for all of us, that's going to be the biggest battle over our, the posture of our hearts is, am I, am I truly loved? Am I truly seen? Am I truly known by the Father? And, and I, really, I really sense that what God wants to do this morning, I had a picture of like, um, I, I don't really do fishing, so I, I, don't think I, I only fished when I was a kid, so, but I saw one of those, like, one of those crazy um, fish hooks, you know the... You know a hook, it's got like a, a huge barb on the end. So you can't just put, like if you pull out a hook it, and you don't like remove the barb, it's just going to like completely dis, dis, destroy and dismember that fish. And I just saw the Lord coming and like removing barbs that were in our hearts. And um, you know, sometimes the Lord comes like a surgeon and all he needs to do is like a small cut to bring incredible weighty healing and I felt, felt like oh, that's something that the Holy Spirit wants to do and um, I was reminded of this quote that I heard some years back hurt people hurt people free people free people yeah. and I think we all carry a measure of hurt when it comes to community when it comes to church as a pastor's son you can pray for me afterwards <laughs> But there, there, there's a sense that where we carry our own hurt, 
we can distribute that hurdle to other people. But when we come into a measure of freedom, we can create a place of freedom for others to come in. And I feel like God wants to move us this morning from places of hurt to places of freedom so that our lives can be places of freedom for others. Thank you, Tessa. When your heart has come into a place of freedom in an area of life, it's so life-giving and it flows with such ease towards someone else. So if you've been healed of something, you've met someone who's had like a crazy testimony of God doing something radical in their life, it's so natural for them to give that thing away to other people. And I believe the Lord wants many of us to have a fresh vision and a deep sense of encouragement around community. And you know the word encourage actually means to inspire courage. And I feel like God wants to inspire courage in some of our hearts. Because some of us actually need courage to actually, to actually be part of community. Because if you've been to part of church or you've never been part of church, it, it can be scary. Is it only me? And I feel like some of us, we just need to be inspired with courage again to go. And you know, the, the thing that happens with, with our hearts is it's so easy for us to put walls up around our hearts. And sometimes we think that we put walls up to protect ourselves from hurt, which we do. But actually what it does is it stops others from getting in and it stops us from sharing our hearts towards others. And I feel like God just wants to give us courage to let those walls down so that we can let others in and that God can show us that we've got something that we've been guarding in our hearts that we can actually give away to other people. Yes? Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of love. And I just, right now, just have a picture of like these, you know like a sluice gate? Or like a, a weir? If you've ever seen on a dam or where they're, like it's, um, in Paris actually, they've got all those canals and then you've got like these little gates and they open it and they shut it and then the barge comes. And I just saw like these, these gates that have been damming this water. They just lift and the, as soon as it lifts, the water begins to flow. And for some of us, it's just like those walls around our heart where the Father just wants to give us courage to let them lift because there's actually, there's a wellspring of life within us that needs to start flowing towards other people. And we've been guarded. And, and the Father says, it's time to be guarded no longer. Thank you, Lord. And um, I, just, I just felt like the, the starting place to speak about community is just to, the starting place of it all. In the beginning. In the beginning, God existed. But God did not exist as an individual. God existed as community. So if you're taking notes, the first, the first point around our purpose, finding our purpose in community, is that we find our purpose in community because God Himself is community. And if God existed from the very beginning as community, then surely there's something that our lives have to, be, have to exist within that we, when you find yourself in community, there's something that's just part of who we are. Because we're made in the image of God. And there's a beautiful quote from a, a theologian called B.B. Warfield. He says, he says this, he says, God exists in the covenant community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. 
interpenetrating, mutually indwelling, living for and in one another, finding life in self-giving to the other, in intercommunion in a non-hierarchical community of loving, mutual abiding. It's this picture of like this, the interpenetrating, mutually indwelling, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The theologians call it perichoresis. Choresis is the same word we get choreography from. And peri means, I think it's with. So it's just this beautiful God existing before humans as Father, Son and Spirit, this beautiful dance. And there's something about community where it's not static. You know, God existed. He wasn't static. It was like the Father was, was loving on the Son and the Son was loving on the Spirit and the Spirit was loving on the Father and they were just like, wow, you're amazing. No, you're amazing. No, you're amazing. Just like this beautiful existence of God as Father, Son and Spirit, like dwelling. Torrance, T.F. Torrance, an amazing Scottish theologian says, talking about this word, perichoresis says, the initial intention of the word is to provide a dynamic rather than static description of the interpenetrating, indwelling relationship of Father, Son and Spirit in both a deeply personal and spiritual way. It is a movement of love that has broken forth into our existence in Jesus Christ and has drawn all creation into this glorious yet mysterious divine life. So you are in Christ and Christ is in you, which means you've actually been included in this beautiful dance of Father, Love, and Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and, and the heart of the Father is that all life is drawn into this beautiful dance, this beautiful indwelling relationship, dynamic rather than static. And I want to get, I just feel like God wants to like raise our vision for community. Like God wants to take us from the static, boring Thing to this dynamic relationship of living life like dynamically interwoven with one another where the Father and the Son and Spirit can move at any point in time and we can give our lives to others and they can give our lives to, to, to us and we get this rich tapestry of, of beautiful community that God wants to weave us into. An eternal community of love. Is that helping you guys? Yeah. He invites us into this incredible place. So our starting point is that God is community. And if God had existed as community, then He created us in His image. And He's invited us to be relational beings that find our true purpose when we truly connect and integrate our lives with one another. I don't know what your experience of lockdown was. Some people, it was amazing. But there was a sense of we collectively felt we lost a part of ourselves because there was no integration, there was no community. All of the things, all of the parts of life that just felt so normal were instantly stripped away. And there's something that when you, you know, we couldn't, I don't know about you guys, but like you couldn't put your finger on it. Like, why do we have to meet together as a church? Like, it was hard to explain, it was hard to describe. But when you weren't meeting together, you were like, you just knew you had to meet together. Because it was like the essence of, of community, of relating to one another, of being in one another's presence. And the second point is the very next thing we see in creation. Where everything that God created was good. 
But there was one thing he saw that was not good. And he saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. And it's amazing that in the midst of the perfection of what God created, there was one thing that was not good because man was alone. He was outside of community. He wasn't wedded with anyone. And I felt like God just wants to say that over our lives, that it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to live in isolation. And I feel like one of the things we need to do as a community is to go to war against isolation. And there's people in this church, there's people in our lives, and we know that they are living isolated lives. And I feel like God wants to encourage us, inspire us with courage, say, let's go to war on isolation. Because when you live in isolation, it's, like the, it's the easiest place for the enemy to come and take a foothold in your life. Isn't it interesting that it was when Eve was alone that the serpent came. The enemy came in, in, the, in the form of a serpent. Like, he waited until she was alone, until she was exposed. And there's a, you know, the same, the same thing. Jesus in the desert, on his own. And I feel like there's something in our lives where the enemy is trying to get a foothold in the times and the places and the spaces where we draw into a space of isolation. And I'm not talking about like never have time on your own or never go away or, you know, just always be around people. But I feel like there's something that's really happened during this COVID time where it's like the enemy is trying to get his tentacles into our hearts through a place of isolation. And the Father says, no, I want to I rip you out of that. So it's never good for us to be alone. And then I just want to dive in for a few moments to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, if you've got your Bibles, 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 10. I won't read all of it. But uh, it's a beautiful passage where Peter is just talking about the church and the people of God. And I hope it's going to just give us a sense of what it means to find our purpose in community. I'll read from 1 Peter 2 verse 4. As you come to Him, talking about Jesus, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. And then down to verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Such a beautiful passage. And uh, I just want to pull a few things out of there quickly. It's, it's so amazing to me that in verse 4 it talks about Jesus and it says... As you come to Jesus, he's this living stone. And there's this fascinating phrase. It says, rejected by men, 
but in the sight of God, chosen, chosen and precious. And I just felt drawn to that because there's something about the posture of our hearts when we come into community where, I don't know about you guys, but there's often a sense of rejection that we can deal with. And, I've, and I, I just find it so interesting that as, Paul, as Peter starts to speak about how we get knitted into community, he highlights that Jesus himself was rejected. But at the same time that he was rejected by everyone, he was chosen and he was precious in the sight of God. And there's a sense in which the Father wants to strip our hearts of a posture of rejection because we all face rejection. And there's something about coming to Jesus who comes to us like he comes to his disciples in the upper room and, he's, and he, he appears to them, they, they lock their doors and he says, peace be with you. And then it says, he shows them his hands and his side. And I love it that he gets an eternally resurrected body, but for some reason he chooses to keep the scars in his hands and his side. That eternally will know him as the one who was scarred. And he wasn't afraid to show the places that he'd been scarred. And I just felt like we were on this men's, um, men's night away and we were anointing people with oil, which was amazing. And um, I think it was Raya, no, Brendan, I can't remember, came up to me and just anointed each of my palms with oil. And in that moment, I just felt like, wow, I was just like immediately saw like the, the, a, a picture in my mind of, of, of the wounds in Jesus' hands. And him saying like, any wound that you've got, you can just come with your wound and you can just take my hands and I'll just, I'll absorb the rejection and the wounding and the hurts from your life and I'll take it because I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to be ashamed. And I feel like God says that rejection that we harbor in our hearts can lead us to live from a place of being a victim or an outsider. And whatever posture that we bring in our hearts to community is going to be the filter that we experience in that community. Does that make sense? So you come in with a posture of like unresolved rejection. Someone, you know, just doesn't speak to your church and you go and saying, I'm rejected. Whatever, we, whatever hard posture we bring to community will determine our filter in community. And Peter starts this passage and he says, Jesus was rejected, he was chosen, but he is the chief cornerstone. He is the one that we build our lives upon. So bring your rejection to him and allow him to heal you. Because there's no place for rejection in community. And for those of us who've been involved in church and leading church, you know, some of us, we also need to just take a place of humility and say, maybe we've hurt people, maybe we've rejected people, but let's, let's come to each other with open hands because we know that in His open hands, He brings healing. And then He says in verse 6, He talks again about, um, quoting the Old Testament, He talks about Jesus being this cornerstone. He says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, again, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. And you know, rejection is one thing and shame is another thing. And shame is this terrible, 
terrible curse that I feel God wants to free some of us from. Because shame is exactly what happened in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. What, what happened? She was isolated. She fell into temptation. And then he followed. And then what did they do? They went and they hid. And what else did they do? They covered themselves. So what does shame do? It takes you out of relationship into a place of hiding and covering yourself. And what does the father do? He comes into the garden. He says, where are you? He doesn't hide himself from them. And I really feel like shame can really be destructive in our lives in terms of community because it causes us to withdraw from other people. And as I was saying, we put up a wall like that leaf they covered themselves with. And there's a beautiful verse in Isaiah that says, instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And the beautiful thing about a double portion and shame is that as soon as shame is removed, it doesn't only mean that you stop hiding from me, but it means that I get to now partake of the beauty of your life. Because shame, you think you're protecting yourself when you live in shame. I'm just hiding from them. I got hurt. I'm putting up a wall. But what you're also doing is you're withdrawing the beauty of your own life from giving and from someone else receiving from who you are. So instead of your shame, you'll have a double portion. Psalm 34 verse 5 says, Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces will never be covered with shame. So the thing about shame is like as soon as as soon as we look to him he just removes the shame and we become radiant we, we we become reflecting of him rather than covering what we think is not worthy in our lives so he wants to call us out of a place of shame does that help you guys and then in verse 9 he he goes into the verse that Many of us probably know well. He says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're a chosen race. Just as he said earlier, Jesus was chosen. He's, he's called us out. He's chosen us as a people. It's like... Were you ever that guy where, man, I don't know, if, I don't know what the, the, the female equivalent is. I don't know, like for guys, you'd go and then you'd play like soccer or cricket and then you'd have two teams. And then you'd always, I'd always be like, please let me not. And then the, the captains would pick and you'd, I'd always be like, please let, let me not be the last. Please let me. I was always the last. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe the Lord's healing me as I process this. <laughs> in public but there's there's something about when we know that we chosen we know that we've been selected we know that we've been called that affirms who we are and there's something about community where we can break we can break that negative thing where we become a place of you know the world is the world is going after inclusivity now everyone needs to be included 
doesn't matter like if you're this, if you're that, if you're B, you're T, you're Q, you're plus. There's a sense of inclusivity. Unless you disagree with me, then I'm going to cancel you. So it's like a weird two-sided page that if you're with me, you're fine. But if you're against me, I'm going to instantly shut you out of my life. Whereas there's something in community where God's given us something that we can go, go after, where we can say to people, it really doesn't matter how you identify, the Father has identified you and we choose you to be part of us. And we welcome you in. And you belong and then you can believe and then you can change and you can, we, can, we can chat about all of those other things. But there's something that's incredibly powerful about community where we can break this cultural thing where people are desperate to belong based on X, Y, and Z. And then he says, you're a royal priesthood. And it reminds me of this beautiful chapter in Isaiah 61 verse 3 where Isaiah talks about all the people that are, are going to be restored when the kingdom of God comes. Early on he says, I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm going to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then in verse 3 he says, I'm going to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Or some translations say, I'm going to give them like a royal crown. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They will build up the ancient ruins, they will raise up the former devastations, they will repair the ruined cities. And there's something about this royalty that God has invited us into, where when we find ourselves in community, we find ourselves with this new identity, and we see ourselves how God sees us. So formerly these people were captives, they were broken hearted. And Isaiah says, they are going to be the oaks of righteousness. They are going to be the planting. You know that word is actually a plantation. So God takes someone from being a captive, broken hearted, and they become part of this beautiful plantation called oaks of righteousness. And then those are the ones who build up the ancient ruins. Those are the ones who... Those are the ones who raise up the former devastations and repair ruined cities. And there's something about our lives where God said, you to be an oak. You know, some oaks are, I was reading online, some oaks can live to four or five hundred years. There's a permanency, there's an establishing in our lives that God wants to do, where He wants us to be planted in a plantation. Not planted as an isolated tree, but part of this beautiful plantation where people can come in, and the beautiful thing about oaks is that they're evergreen, so they never lose their leaves. And the thing about planting a plantation of oaks, according to the internet, which research I did, which you can check up for yourselves, but you actually have to space the oaks at the right width, because when they grow to their full height, their canopy is like really wide. So there's something about God placing us in community where we are rooted and we're part of a plantation, but we have the space to create this canopy where other people can come in. And I was reading on the, online that the, the amazing thing about oaks, at least in North America, is that they create a whole ecosystem through just being planted in a garden. Like the amount of worms and other trees and other plants. It's like, actually, if you take that oak out of that situation, you remove like hundreds and thousands of 
elements of life. And so God's created us to be these oaks where our life can become a place of belonging and shade and acceptance for other people. But we're not isolated. We're part of a plantation. And God says He will use that to rebuild the ancient ruins, to repair the cities. So when you, when you give your life to being part of community, God wants to establish us in good soil together. He wants, you, he wants us to put our roots deep. And some of us have, have had trouble in putting our roots deep. Because it's like, oh, I, I join a church and it's great and I get to know the people. But I get to a point and then I'm like, I don't know. I've been hurt before. And I just sense the Spirit saying like, whether it's this church, we're not trying to build any kind of membership. But I just felt God say like, it's time to put your roots deep. Like wherever you are, put your roots deep. Because as your roots go deep, the deeper your roots go, the, the higher the tree is going to go. It's time for us to find ourselves in good soil. He wants to breathe courage into our hearts. And then he says, A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't only get to enjoy the benefit of other people in our lives when we're part of community, but actually we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. You know that being part of community, being part of church is, is actually an element of spiritual warfare. I don't want to sound too intense, but Ephesians 3.10 says, God's purpose was now through the church, the manifold, the multicolored wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There's something about the church that actually displays this multicolored wisdom of God, not only to the world, but to the rulers and the authorities. And I really felt like God just wanted, wanted to say that being part of a church, committing yourself to a community, rooting yourself, it's, it's actually spiritual warfare. Saying, we're proclaiming something to the heavens. And I don't know about you, but it seemed, I feel like there, there's, there's a war over some of our lives. And what would the enemy want us to do? Just take us out of community. And as soon as you're out of community, it's like you're a coal that's just removed from the other coals. And God says, it's time for us to go to war in isolation. It's time for us to proclaim to the heavenlies that no, there's actually something bigger than me living for myself. It's actually, I'm going to humble myself to what God said, and I'm going to commit myself to other people. And as I do that, God is going to begin to proclaim His goodness and say, can you see? It's like light shining through a prism, and it's like these many varied colors. Your life matters in church. You're a living stone. He says in verse 4, as you come to Him, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. It's like you bring life. There's something of the life of God in you. And when you like built into this church, your life begins to flow through our church. And then I come and my life begins to flow. And there's a, there's a sense of the enemy's actually just dumbed us down to thinking, oh, church is just this, 
you know, this nice thing to have. But actually, it's a beautiful spiritual dynamic where God said, I want you to give your life because there's something on you that you carry to release to the world. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm going for it. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God. Sorry. As each of us has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've got a gift. You've got gifting. You've got calling. You've got destiny in your life. Use it to serve one another and you'll be a good steward of the varied grace on your life. So the thing about church is we all bring a different grace. And as we use our gift, it's like this, like mixing of the of the grace and the gifting and like the life we're living stones we like being built on jesus but we there's life and someone else gets added and they bring their gift and they bring their grace and it's like wow there's a grace on kambani's life he's got something i don't have so i enjoy that grace in this area of my life and i give that grace on my life to tessa and then she releases the grace into someone else's life and so there's such a bigger vision of what it's like to find our purpose in community because we begin to express the grace of God in our own lives and other people begin to experience that grace. And so what God wants to do is He says He wants to build us up into a house so that we declare His excellencies. We, we proclaim His goodness. We proclaim His wisdom to the world. And He finishes that chapter. He says, Once we were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. There's something about just the grace and the mercy of God of being part of God's people. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And in the verse before, he says, He called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Like just as Jesus stepped into your life, and he pulled you out of darkness, and he pulled you into that beautiful light. He now says, you get to be part of this community of light. You get to, to know that once you weren't chosen, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you're in a place where you can receive mercy, grace after grace. And I'll end with this, he says, you yourselves are being, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What actually means a temple. So we as the church actually become the temple. And you know, we all know the story when Jesus was on the cross. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. There was never going to be another temple that you had to come in to experience God. But now he's created a people that become the hosts of who he is we are we are temples in our own right as individuals but there's something so much more beautiful and varied that we ourselves are being built into a temple a place where the the glory and the presence of god resides so won't you guys stand i know i've been quite long thank you for staying with me So we say, come Holy Spirit, and inspire us with courage again to give our lives wholeheartedly to community. 
And you know, in the very beginning, the story begins in a garden as a love story between a man and a woman. When he realized when he was not good for, it was not good for him to be alone, God gave him a partner. And the heart of God was always that there would be this beautiful love story. And in the end, in Revelation, we, we, we read that on the last day, it will end in a culmination of a wedding where God himself will wed his people, this beautiful bride from every tribe, every nation, every language, every color, every tongue. And I just felt like God says to us this morning, he's not giving up on his church. He's building a glorious bride. He's building a radiant bride. Ephesians 5 says in verse 27, that he will present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain, without wrinkle, without blemish, but holy and blameless. And I felt like God just wants to come and he says, if there's any stain, if there's any wrinkle, if there's any blemish on your heart, where you've experienced pain or rejection or shame in community, the Spirit just wants to breathe on that and bring freedom and healing this morning. So we say, come Holy Spirit.